With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 50. It's titled Navigating Early Retirement. So we're at episode 50, and about every 25 episodes, I think it's helpful just to pause momentarily to see how the show is doing. And first off, I want to thank you for sharing the show with your friends and families. I get emails from new listeners. I often ask them, how did you discover the podcast? And more often than not, somebody told them about that. So thank you for sharing it with your friends and neighbors because of that. The audience is much larger than it was when I published episode 25. It's about three to four times larger, very much an international audience, still about 80% U.S., but 20% international. And the show pretty much ranks consistently in the top 10 on iTunes and the top 30 for business. Now, I'm not quite sure exactly how iTunes comes up with the rankings, but I believe it has to do with the pace of new subscribers to the show, which means you continue to share with others. And for that, I thank you. I got an email the other day, and it was something from Spain. I believe they're from Spain. And they asked, who is the target demographic for this show? And he was was somewhat concerned because in some of the earlier episodes, and he was only on, I believe, episode 15 or 16, I had mentioned you need a million dollars at least to retire early because... I think if you, I, I believe I said, if you just use just a simple 4% spend rate, that that equates to $40,000. And if you had half that amount, 4% would be 20000 Now, I did do an episode, I think it was in the 30s, on Mind the Gap, where I talked about sort of formulas for spending retirement in terms of spending your retirement or the the spending rate. But I was just giving that as an example. So $20,000, and and he was kind of taken aback because he he asked, well, what if I live already on less than $20,000? And that's what prompted his question because he's living on less than $20,000. I'm saying you need at least 40 to live. And who's the target demographic? There isn't one. In terms of who listens to the show, we have those that clearly live on less than $20,000. We have those that are, are multi-millionaires and everyone in between. We're all trying to find our own path. I think if, I, if there's a mantra, a money mantra for the show, it's maximize your well-being with the minimum of consumption. That is definitely a theme that, as I look at the the first 50 episodes, it's a definite theme. And that came from E.F. Schumacher, who wrote Small is Beautiful. And so when we talk about how much we should live on, there isn't a right answer other than try to figure out 
how much it is that you could do it by maximizing your well-being, your joy, your happiness with the minimum of consumption. And if you can do it on less than $20,000, that is amazing. And I admire you because uh, of your ability to, to, to have done it. Because I, I can't and I haven't. But I'm trying to get to the point where the amount of consumption that we have continues to shrink. And I thought about it. I got an email from a listener named Michael, and he kind of shared his story. He's a member of the Money for the Rest of Us hub, and he lives or did live in in rural Massachusetts and spent a great deal of time with his spouse in the Peace Corps. They loved to travel. They kind of had this idyllic life out in rural Massachusetts. They had a, a young daughter, but he said the pull of the city and the need for more excitement caught them up, and they got this bug, and they so they moved back to Boston, or at least a town adjacent to it, kind of near where they went to high school. And he got a job, started working, and he's he let me read it here. He says, what I didn't quite think through, primarily because I had no experience in my adult life, was the faster pace, astronomically higher cost, and the general feeling of stepping into a rat race. We adjusted to all of it and continued to live within our means, but in the back of my mind, knew none of it was necessary for a full life. And what I liked about that, that quote is, is the perspective. They had learned to live on very little, and then they sort of moved into the city and kind of got caught into the rat race, but just, just the daily pull of life, but always in the back of their mind, they realized that they didn't have to stay if they didn't want. They knew how to live on less if they chose to. There is a great deal of freedom if you realize and know how to live on a lot less than your current income. I remember when I had a conversation with one of my partners at my former firm, and he made the comment that I would become addicted to the money because my, my compensation was, was very, very high, and I would be, I would be addicted to it, and, and I would never want to leave that firm. I saw it as a challenge, and I said, I don't think you know me well enough. And it was shortly after that, probably within a year, I made the decision that, that I was going to leave, that I just, I was approaching while well, I was in my mid-40s. My father passed away when he was 54. And as I approached my 50s, that kind of hung over me. And, and I just didn't, there was this fear that I, I just didn't want. I had a very comfortable life. I was happy. I was telecommuting from Idaho. Well, there was clearly some things I didn't like about my work, but every, every job has that. But I also didn't want to feel like I was just kind of waiting out the clock because I could have, and I chose to leave. So tomorrow, April 1st, will be my three-year anniversary of having quitting my job, 
moved into self-employment, call it early retirement. And I want to share a little bit about that journey because I think it's instructive because when the day comes that you want to change your lifestyle in terms of move into an early retirement, partial retirement, or do something, there is definitely a transition. And, and money is just one aspect of it. Most of it is emotional and psychological. I remember the evening I'd taken the red eye to fly back to Ohio to, to show up at our executive committee meeting and announce that I was quitting. And that evening I'm in the hotel in, in Ohio laying on the bed and a smile went across my face and I thought, I can do anything I want with the rest of my life. And after being there 16 years, that was an amazing feeling. The only problem was I didn't know what that was. I had started out at the firm as an analyst. I had risen to a managing partner, chief investment strategist, chief portfolio strategist. Most of my career had been investing. I spent a few years in corporate finance. But throughout that time, I'd said we. So whenever I would give a presentation to a client or whatever I would share an investment opinion, it was never I it was always we. And there was a part of me that wanted to be a soloist. There's actually a book, I believe it was written by Harriet Rubin. And I remember taking it with me. And it's one of my, my favorite books, not so much from what it says, but the thoughts it brings. I remember taking it with me when my son and I traveled to Mexico back, I think in the late 1990s. And it, it was called Soloing. And it, it described her transition from a corporate world to being a soloist. And I loved reading that journey and it inspired me. So I wanted to say, I think, I believe, what would it like to be to be a soloist? So I prepared to do that. We told our clients I was retiring. And retiring is such a loaded word. I mean, what, what does that mean? I had no intention of just living on my nest egg. One, I didn't think it would last throughout my retirement unless I was a very savvy investor. And so I thought, and I just, I didn't really know. Like I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided if I was going to be, say, I believe, I think, I wanted to do an investment newsletter. And it was going to be a subscription service, somewhat similar to The Hub, but much more written content and much more focused on, I'm the expert, here's what I think, Here's my investment track record, and here's what you should do exactly. In fact, I went out and got my self-directed 401k track record audited. So it was just like any other money manager. I had this audited track record. The day after, so I, was, I launched that site on the airplane flying back from Ohio after my last day, flying back to Idaho, I'm now in business for myself. I launched it, and I hated it. I just didn't, I, I made it for about four or five weeks, and I was miserable. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I, I just, I called a friend in London who had left a major ad agency to go out on her own, and she gave me this advice. She said, slow down. Quitting a job is like getting a divorce. You are too emotionally raw to make major decisions right away. Give it time and your path will slowly reveal itself. What I'd done is I'd quit my job and essentially 
started the same job again, except this time I wasn't getting paid. Yes, I was saying I, I believe, but I just immediately went and did the same thing because that's what I knew how to do. So I shut it down and I took up fly fishing. Spent a lot of time fly fishing. I took up web programming. I took up, I started, did a lot more photography and I just started trying different things apart from investing. And in fact, that fall I went to a conference sponsored by Amazon Web Services and I'd never gone to a technology conference. So here I'm with a bunch of techies and programmers. Pretty fascinating as I was very much into that, kind of that scene. And I started getting a new idea. I said, well, what if I put together a sort of an automated investment service, sort of like a betterment or personal capital, but do it in a way that that wasn't so technology-driven. In other words, it would be automated, but I was kind of be behind the, the scenes, sort of the, the Wizard of Oz, kind of making things work with rubber bands or whatever. It wasn't going to, because I was not that good of a, a programmer by any means. And I, that would be really, really cool. And so I started working on that. And we traveled through, with our family through Asia and Europe, and in the mornings I'd get up and I'd work on this site, and, and I was putting together the technology when we got back in April, so about a year after I quit, I launched the site again, and I made it for two months this time, and I was petrified that someone was going to hire me to, because by then, I had registered as an investment advisor, and I thought, so, I, because the first time through, I wasn't a registered, I, well, I, no, I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't registered, and then I decided to register as an investment advisor, start offering advice and the idea that somebody would hire me, I just found terrifying, which was bizarre because I spent 16 years advising institutions in high net worth individuals. But it was so much easier to, in my mind, to advise a $300 million endowment than it was to advise someone with $500,000 and this was the retirement. And I couldn't do it. And I shut the site down again. And it's something about summer. I think summers in Idaho are nice, but come summer, it's like I don't want anything to do. I just didn't want to do it. So I went fishing again. And that fall, I, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I just remember not having any idea what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I didn't have, you talk about people having passions. Well, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have passions. And I was in my late 40s, and I just didn't know what to do. So I spent a lot of time that fall just walking, listening to universe or tapes, lectures, Yale lectures on Aristotle, on early Middle Ages, on France, was reading Aristotle, was reading Boethius, was reading St. Augustine, and, and slowly I realized I did miss writing. I like to write because what I found was I... Writing helps me to think. And in fact, giving speeches or speaking, such as this venue, a podcast, helps me to think. I learn by best by teaching, which is something that Stephen Covey said. So I launched a new website. It had nothing to do with investing. It was called Silence Like Thunder, and it was just essays and my photographies. And, and that's what I did. I realized I missed that. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. 
Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. One of the things about being employed with the same company or the same career for over a decade is how much of our identity is tied to that position, our sense of self-worth, our sense of meaning, our sense of mission, of purpose, the community we serve. And when you step away, it's normal to feel lost. And that's exactly how I felt. I mean, my first step away was in the exact, basically to recreate the same position without getting paid for it. And I just didn't like it. And I didn't like the stress of it. Because one of the reasons I left was the stress of managing money. And then I redid it again and realized I just, that's the part about my job I didn't want to have anything to do with. The stress of being responsible for someone's other, someone's investment nesting or even their institutional assets. But I still like to teach and to write. And so come February 2014, the local paper said, why don't you write, will you write an investment, a weekly personal finance column? And I thought, well, I, I, I could do that. I could at least step that little back bit back into investing. So I started writing that. And I thought, well, if I'm writing that article, I might as well put it up on my website, jdavidstein.com. And as long as I'm writing an article and publishing on the web, then why don't I actually do and try out a podcast? Because that would allow me to teach in a way and sort of use that article as a basis. And that's what I did. And then, well, what if people want a little more help than a podcast or a 
just an article? What if they want more education? And is there a way to perhaps even generate some income, even though you know I'm self-employed or retired, is there a way to generate some income, at least to cover the expenses? And that's why I decided I'll launch the hub. But I wanted to launch the hub in a way, another membership site. So this is my third one, really my fourth, because there's one in between that I didn't really talk about. Called the, I think it was called The Next 40 Years. And so how would it be different this time? Well, I was not going to be up here on on way above you as the experts say, here's how you should manage money. No, it was going to be, I'm down here with you, living on the leading edge of the present, trying to figure it out. Certainly I have experience, but mainly create a site that would help me, and by helping me would help you. And help me in, in which way? One of the quotes from the Hub members, Michael, I don't have it exactly, but he said, you know, what is it about the hub that helps him the most? It keeps his emotions in check. Investing is very, very emotional. And so just having somewhere you can go to look at objective investment conditions, valuations, economy, central bank trends, market internals, and just kind of know what's going on. Not in terms of a prediction, but just to know what is going on. And so I launched the hub. And, and that's continued to go well. And so now it's been three years since I quit my job. And it's true. Your path eventually emerges. You figure out how to navigate early retirement by actually doing it. The money, put aside the money. It's just figuring out the emotional, what is it about your job and the activities that you liked? How can you replicate that in early retirement? You'll eventually figure out how to make money doing it if you need the money. And most of us who are retired or early retired still need some type of income, mainly because it's a lot less stressful if your entire livelihood isn't dependent on your investment portfolio. What allows your path to emerge during retirement or early retirement is just time away from your job, your earlier job, your career. I mentioned how so much of our identity is associated with our present employment, our sense of self-worth. And you need that gap, that space to realize, all right, I am not, I'm not that person that had that title. This is me. This is what I think. And, and sort of the memories of, of that job tend to fade and you and you've become kind of your own person again on your own, not connected to some title or some job. And then you realize, all right, here's what I liked about that former life, and here's what I didn't. Here's what I'd like to replicate. The other key to early retirement, one of the best things about it, is to be able to wake up at a time that you naturally wake up and not be jolted by the alarm clock. There's a great deal of pleasure. Just wake up whenever you wake up. But it's even better and more joyful to have something to wake up for, a purpose, a project, a community to serve. Henry David Thoreau said, this is in Walden, we must learn to reawaken and keep ourselves awake, not by mechanical aid, by an infinite expectation of the dawn, which does not forsake us in our soundest sleep. Have something to wake up for. It takes some time to figure out what that is, but retirement you need to have something to wake up for. At the same time, 
you can't be completely there's a there's very much a balance between planned activity and unplanned activity and i talked about this on the episode a few a few episodes ago on leisure we need to take time for leisure because once you actually find the activities you enjoy doing and you're being satisfied there is a temptation to do them all the time to overindulge i mean i could spend 70 80 hours a week if i wanted to on the hub, on this podcast, on writing, but I don't want to. So I try to keep it really part-time, less than 20, 30 hours. Joseph Piper wrote in Leisure, the Basis of Culture, Leisure is not the attitude of mind for those who actively intervene, but those who are open to everything, not those who grab and grab hold, but of those who leave the reins loose and who are free and easy themselves, almost like falling asleep. One can fall asleep only by letting oneself go. Now, that might seem like a contradiction. On one side, Thoreau saying, be awake. Have something to wake up for so that you are looking forward to it. But at the same time, we have to be free and easy that we could easily fall asleep. We need both work and leisure. We need planned and unplanned. We need to be able to go when we're early retired, go, go fishing when the sun is shining and it's not terribly windy. We need to be both engaged and relaxed, awake but calm and peaceful enough to effortlessly fall asleep. That's the balance you seek in early retirement, and it takes time to do it. There's a Japanese phrase called fusoku furi. Sometimes it's called the Buddhist mean. And it, it means, if you're going to do an exact quote, it would be unattached and undetached. And let me say that again because this is confusing. Unattached, but undetached. You're sort of in between. An example is Mona Lisa, the painting by Leonardo da Vinci. Is she smiling or is she not smiling? Is her mouth open or is it closed? It's both, and it kind of moves back and forth based on your perspective. That's what Fusoku Furi is. The Japanese monk Ryohen introduced it, and the example he gave was the waves of the sea. He says, although there seem to be a multiple of waves, it is not a real multitude, for the waves are casually produced phantom-like dharmas that defy the comprehension of the unenlightened mind. If the waves were unchanging real objects, they would be completely different from water. But since the waves are non-substantial, they are in harmony with the water and neither identical to nor completely different from it, Fusoku Furi. So the waves are part of the water, but not part of the water. They're attached, they're unattached, and undetached. In our retirement, or whatever phase of life, that's what we want. We want that, that planned, but unplanned. And, and it's not both and it's not either. It's sort of, you kind of go in between. And, it, and it, it's not, it's hard to explain. Let me put it that way. Let me give one other example that Buddhists mean. David Bohm, in his book, Wholeness and the Implicate Order, describes what takes place when we listen to music. Quote, at a given moment, a certain note is being played, but a number of previous notes are still reverberating in consciousness. Close attention will show that it is the simultaneous presence and activity of all these reverberations that is responsible for the direct and immediately felt sense of movement 
flow and continuity. To hear a set of notes so far apart in time that there is no such reverberation will destroy altogether the sense of a whole unbroken, living moment that gives meaning and force to what is heard. So music is not the sum of the individual notes, the parts. We know that because music is destroyed if the notes are spaced too far apart. Nor is music separate from the individual notes, because if there were no notes, there would be no music. Rather, music is revealed through the reverberations of the notes, how they unfold in our consciousness. Music is neither attached to nor undetached from the notes. Music is fusoku furi. That's sort of the, the mean or the balance we want in our life, where we're attached to our life, but we're undetached. We've planned, we're unplanned. And you discover it by actually living it, discovering your own identity apart from your job, and that is the beauty of early retirement. So that's episode 50. If you have any comments or questions, email me, jd at jdavidstein.com. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. That's also where you can sign up for my insider's guide. And I'll email those show notes to you. That's where I'm answering listener questions, providing other valuable content. That's at moneyfortherestofus.net. This week on The Hub, beginning of April, I'm releasing the monthly investment conditions report. It's a written report along with audio commentary. This is one of the foundations of The Hub where members, including myself, are able to objectively look at market conditions and decide we want to continue to have much higher exposure or close to our maximum exposure to risk assets such as stocks, or we want to pull back. Because if you look, go back to episode 48 on secular bull markets, I believe we are in a secular bull market, but a cyclical bear, a downturn of upwards of 20% will happen within the next couple of years. I don't know when, but we look at market conditions and just say, all right, we want to reduce our risk. The objective way I do that is to look at the investment conditions report. I also do it through the mid-month strategy update. And that is what allows hub members to keep their emotions in check. So they're not, because if you just listen to the news, you listen to Twitter, watch CNBC, it's gut-wrenching when it comes to your emotions. You need to have objective data. That's what the hub does. You can get more information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode is for general education only. I've not provided investment advice. I've not considered your specific situation or risk profile. I'm simply providing general education and money, investing in the economy. Have a great week. Next up, episode 51.